Good morning. Matthew chapter 7 is today we're concluding our series, He Said What, on the Sermon on the Mount. I heard a story about a flight attendant on a longer flight, one where they serve meals to the passengers, and she started to do that and came to a man and asked him, would you like dinner? And he said, what are my choices? And she said, yes or no. (laughs) I don't think those were the choices he was looking for. I think he was remembering back to a... uh, an earlier era in commercial air travel where you might actually get a few different options for a meal. We like having lots of options in most things. Just go to the grocery store. It is amazing how many options there are, or a restaurant, or whatever. But on some issues, it really comes down to just two options, yes or no. Uh, for example, in a marriage ceremony, when the officiant asks you, do you take this woman as your lawfully wedded wife, or do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, there are only two options, yes or no. Or, you know, a pregnancy test. Is she pregnant? Yes or no. There's no such thing as a little bit pregnant. (laughs) Driver's test. You go through that routine. Did I pass? Do I get my driver's license? Yes or no? So there are times when we might like more alternatives, but because of the nature of the thing, whatever it is, it just comes down to two options, yes or no. And today, as we wrap up the Sermon on the Mount, we are confronted with what is really the most important two-option choice there is. And I suppose it shouldn't surprise any of us because the whole sermon has been leading to this. It's been leading to this conclusion. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a part of his kingdom and who's in and who's out. And just in case we're still unclear, he's going to bring it to razor-sharp focus and tell us it all comes down to this. How will you respond to him? The two-option choice he gives us is, do you trust me to be Lord of your life? Yes or no? Let's take a look. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Jesus says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. 
and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Two gates, two ways, two trees, two house builders. Two destinies, only two. In the kingdom, not in the kingdom. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is not Lord. You know him, you don't know him. Two options, only two. This is not a buffet. This is not, well, whatever works for you is fine, as long as you're sincere. More options is not an option. And it's not because I said so. Okay, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus claims that how you respond to him is the issue in whether or not you belong to the kingdom of God. And what is so disturbing is that Jesus says there are many people who think that they belong to the kingdom who really don't. And one day he's going to declare to them, 
depart from me, I never knew you. Does that bother you? It bothers me. It bothers me. How can there be many people who think they're in when they're not in? They know who Jesus is. They know. They call Him Lord. And they do things in His name. Impressive things. Even supernatural things. They're probably going to church today. They're probably part of worship services all around the world. They know about the kingdom of God and they think they're in. They're convinced they're in but they're not in. And Jesus says he's going to exclude them from his presence. Why? Because he doesn't know them. Now, he knows who they are. He knows their name. This is not the, the, the knowing of knowing information. This is the knowing of relationship. We all know there's a big difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing that person. This is the knowing of relationship. They don't have that. They don't know him. They know about him, and they think it's enough. They have never considered the possibility that they might be wrong. They have never bothered to ask themselves the one question that really matters. Do I really know Jesus? Do I really know him? Do I belong to him? Does he know me relationally? Do I know him? Am I in? Am I out? They've never asked. They think they know. And if you're here today, and you've never asked that question, not really, not seriously, I'm really glad you're here today because we are going to ask that question. And I want you to ask it of yourself. And I just want to say to you, this is deadly serious. This is deadly serious. If right now you're feeling distracted, if you're feeling preoccupied because you've got a lot on your mind about other stuff, or if you're feeling a little sleepy, can I just plead with you, wake up and pay attention to what Jesus says here. There is nothing you could possibly think about during this time that matters more than this question. Nothing. This is no joke. This is not entertainment. This is not Sunday morning be entertained. And frankly, I really don't care if you like this sermon or not. All I care about is that you please ask yourself the question, for real, do you know him? Are you in? Are you really in? How do you know? How do you know if you're in? Well, based on what Jesus says here and only on what Jesus says, I want to show you evidence 
that you can compare and see if you're in. How do you know if you're in? There's the evidence. First piece of evidence. When you're in, you feel out of sync with this world. You feel out of sync with this world. You feel like you and this world are going in different directions. Jesus says that those who enter his kingdom enter by a narrow gate and a hard way. And it's important to understand here, when he uses the word hard, he's not talking about hard in the sense of it's really demanding, it's really, it's really difficult to obey everything Jesus says. That may well be true, but that's not the point here. The point is it's hard because it's different. And it's not the way everybody else is going. And so that causes difficulty in your life. Because you're going a different direction. It's not the way most people are going. Following Jesus, doing what he says, living according to his values, his standards, his priorities, will put you at odds with a lot that's going on in this world. And that can stir up big trouble in your family. It can stir up big trouble at work. It can stir up big trouble among your friends. I mean, we're talking about believing that Jesus is not just one way to God, but the only way to God. We're talking about believing what Jesus says, for example, throughout this sermon, and taking it seriously when he talks about things like marriage and sex and telling the truth, and forgiving others who hurt us, and loving our enemies, and laying up treasure in heaven instead of laying it up here on earth. And if anyone gives you contrary advice to what Jesus is saying, you go with him. Because his advice is right, and you trust him. And if somebody says something that contradicts what he says, you don't go with that. See, the world is full of people who admire Jesus. Lots of people admire Jesus, or at least say they admire Jesus, but they aren't interested in actually following him and doing what he says because his way is not comfortable. It's not popular. It's not cool to follow Jesus. Not really. Not really. And it's not the way most of the world is going. So if you go his way, you are going to be out of sync with a lot that is just normal in this world, a lot that is acceptable in this world, a lot that is celebrated in this world. It just puts you out of sync to follow Jesus. Now, please understand, this does not mean we should go out and try to be as weird as possible (laughs) and be argumentative and hostile and disagree with everybody, they, everything that everybody says about everything. And we should be as offensive as possible. That's not it. Jesus is, because he says right here in the Sermon on the Mount, he calls his followers to be meek. That is gentle and kind and humble. How we need humility. And to love those who oppose him in his ways. To love them, not regard them. I mean, they may be enemies for the sake of the kingdom, but to regard them as victims of the enemy, to love them. But, but 
following Jesus, following his ways will put you out of sync. Because his ways are out of sync. And you say, well, how out of sync do I have to be? How out of sync do I have to be? And the answer is, as out of sync as obeying Jesus makes you. Are you willing to be that? When you're in, you're willing, even if it's hard. Another evidence that you're in, you're more concerned about doing good than appearing good. You're more concerned about actually doing what is good than simply appearing to be good. As Jesus makes it very clear here that he is not that concerned or not at all concerned about his followers having a certain appearance that's not real. I mean, he talks about false prophets who are dressed up like sheep. That's a very interesting thing to say. They look like sheep. You know, one of the biggest mistakes we can make is thinking that false prophets will look like false prophets. They'll have horns and fangs and really look scary. They don't. They look good. So here are these people. They look harmless. They look like they're part of God's flock, but in reality, they're wolves. They're dangerous. Jesus talks about those who call him Lord and do mighty works in his name, but he doesn't know them. And he talks about a house that, yeah, this looks like a good house. Looks just like this house over here. But gee, for some reason, it's a lot cheaper. Because it's not a good house. It's built on the sand. It's going to fall apart. So, getting back to the first point, that out of sync thing, that's really not talking mainly about our appearance. How you look on the outside as if being a Christian is having a certain appearance. That's not to say that appearance is completely irrelevant, makes no difference. But that's not the focus. It's not about looking good. It's about being good and actually doing good. Jesus wants good fruit from our lives. What does that mean? That means words and actions, don't miss this, that meet his standard of what's good. His standard. Just don't... This is what makes Jesus so radical. And this is what freaked people out when they first heard him speak. Because he is saying this righteousness that he's been talking about all through the the sermon. You know, the righteousness of the kingdom. The righteousness we have to have. He's saying he's the one who defines that. He fulfills the law and the prophets. He explains what God's word really requires from us. He defines what is good and what isn't for everybody. And if you reject his right to do that, if you reject his right to define for you what's good and what isn't, it doesn't matter how good you look. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. Jesus isn't buying it. We don't get to figure out what's good and evil on our own. We don't get to do that. That's his job. That's what the word Lord means. 
We don't get to figure it out on our own. We don't get to say, well, you know, what I really think or what I personally feel. No, Jesus says it's his way or it's no way. Do you want your life to be genuinely good? Jesus said, if we're in, we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst. I really want that. See, if you're in, you're not going to be satisfied. You're not going to just want this superficial veneer of righteousness so that others will think, wow, what, what a great person. No, what you want is you want God's righteousness to go deep and you want you want it to change you. You want God to transform you so that your life honors Him and you do things that are actually good for others, for those around you. You won't be satisfied with less. You won't be satisfied with this veneer of Christianity. One more evidence. No, two more. Here's the third. When you're in, you build your life on what Jesus says. You build your life on what Jesus says. So here are two men Jesus talks about. They both build houses. Both houses get slammed with a big storm and a flash flood. One house stands. One house washes away. What's the difference? Well, The focus really isn't on the houses so much as the builders. And Jesus says these builders represent two different kinds of people. Both heard what Jesus said. But only one believed what Jesus said. And the way we know he believed it is because he did it. He did it. It's not enough to hear what Jesus says. It's not enough to agree. To agree with what Jesus says. It's not enough to admire what Jesus says. It's not enough to memorize what Jesus says. The only thing that counts is actually believing what he says. And the way we know we believe what he says is when we do what he says. So, when you're in, you listen to his teaching as if your life depends on it. And then you seek to live it out. And you know you can't do that in your own strength. You know you can't. I mean, that's one of the main lessons of this whole sermon. Remember, right before Jesus says what, he's, what we're looking at in this section, he said that the way we pursue the kingdom of God, the way we pursue his righteousness is by asking and seeking and knocking. That is, receiving. God, I don't have it. I need it. And I'll only have it if you give it to me. So you build your life on His truth by His grace. So I want to be very clear. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works here. He's not teaching that if you do everything He says well enough, well, then you'll be in. And then, you know, God will be okay with you. No. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Being right with God is a gift. It's not the result of works. Okay, so this is not, Jesus is not saying, you know, that, that it's obedience instead of faith. It's obeying his words instead of trusting him. No, it's the obedience that comes from faith. Obeying him because we trust him. Salvation is not the result of good works. It's not this. It's not do good works, end result, salvation. Salvation is not the result. It's the other way around. Salvation results in good works, and it always does. So doing what Jesus says is not a substitute for faith. It's how you know your faith is real. It's how you know your faith is real. If you don't do what he said, I'm not talking about just an occasional slip-up. I'm talking about as a life choice. You don't do what he said, then you don't really believe him, even if you call him Lord. Jesus, uh, Luke 6.46, Jesus asks, Why? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? One more. One more evidence that you're in. You're convinced that without Jesus, you're out. You're convinced. Without Jesus, you're out. Inevitably, if we're paying attention, if we listen to this, we're probably going to think something like, well, I'm out. I fall short. I don't see enough evidence in my life that I'm in. I'm too in sync with this world. I'm too concerned about appearing good, not actually being good. And uh, I don't do what Jesus said nearly enough. So I must be out. And the truth is this. If you're bothered by this, and bothered by the fact that you know you don't measure up, that's a really, really good sign. Because it's the people who think, yeah, I'm good. I measure up. I got this Jesus thing figured out. Those are the people who should be really afraid. See, if you realize you fall short of righteousness, and you know there's no way you deserve to be in the kingdom. That's called being poor in spirit. And the very first words of this sermon, Jesus said, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Therein. Therein. He wouldn't have said that if we could be good enough. He wouldn't have said that. Because to be poor in spirit is to realize, you know, you can't be good enough. This is such great news. You know you're not good enough. And you know only the grace of God can make you good enough. And the grace of God comes to our lives one way, through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus spoke this sermon so that we would realize what true righteousness is. And one of the main reasons he did that is so we would realize we don't have it. 
We don't just need him to be the teacher in our lives who guides us. We don't just need him to be king of our lives who rules over us. We need him to be savior and rescue us. And that's why Matthew, who wrote this book, in the very first chapter of his book, told us why this one would be named Jesus. An angel appeared to Joseph and said, You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And it's why the book of Matthew doesn't stop at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus says these things, and we all go, oh, bummer. This is bad. No. No, that's not the end of the book. You keep going. And he tells us about Jesus going to a cross and dying and rising from the dead, and why? In Jesus' own words, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, that's a great word right here. Many. Because we just read that many will say, Lord, Lord, and be lost because they trust in themselves. And this says, he's a ransom for many who will stop trusting in themselves and trust in him instead. It's awesome. Because they know without Jesus, they're not in. And they know that unless they rely on Jesus, they can never, ever, ever live up to the Sermon on the Mount and its standards. But by his grace, they can. By his grace, you can. You can. It all comes down to what you do with Jesus. Do you know him? He has done everything necessary for that to happen. It's up to you. It's up to you. Will you trust him to be your teacher, king, savior? Will you trust him to be your Lord? Yes or no? a big question. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. And if today it feels like I've been talking directly to you, And you know you need to make a choice today. You need to say yes to this one.
then please hear me. You just need to ask him. Admit you're not good enough. Admit you can't be good enough and ask him to give you the salvation, the forgiveness, the righteousness that he died to give us and say yes and put it out all all on the table for him. Say, take me as best I understand. I'm giving you my life. Come in and change me. Make me what you want me to be. Even if it puts me out of sync with the world, that's okay. Even if I have to follow a hard, narrow road, that's okay. Because I want to be in. I want to trust you with my life. I want to honor you. I want to know you. You just tell him that. And if you're here today and you have already made that choice, then I just want to encourage you to thank him and pray for those who might be wrestling with that choice even now. Pray. Take a quiet moment and just talk to the Lord. Father God, we live in a world that does not encourage this kind of thinking, this kind of doing, this kind of yes or no decision. Lord, the world is full of people who are telling us there are so many different options when it comes to being spiritual, when it comes to being religious, when it comes to ultimate reality. And Father, your son says no. You say no. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father, no one comes to you but by Him. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not yet said yes to Jesus, to be Lord, Savior, Teacher, King, Lord, may they come and experience Your grace. Will You pour out Your grace even now? Will You pour out Your Holy Spirit? Will You call people into Your kingdom? Because that's what you do. That's what you delight to do. And help us who know you only by your grace to have the humility to trust you when you say something's good, may we live it. When you say something's bad, may we avoid it. And may we share the good news of the kingdom with those you bring into our lives, with those to whom you send us. Help us be about your business and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you for speaking these words to us. Thank you for loving us enough to tell us how it really is. Help us respond to Jesus in faith. We pray in his name. Amen.